From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Harry Kramer is the former chairman and CEO of Baxter International, which is a multi-billion dollar global healthcare company. Based on his incredible experience, he's written two really valuable books on values-based leadership. The first one, From Values to Action, The Four Principles of Values-Based Leadership. And the second, Becoming the Best, Build a World-Class Organization Through Values-Based Leadership. Both recommended. Start with the first one. Harry is an executive partner with Madison Dearborn Partners, which is one of the largest private equity firms in the United States. And he is also a clinical professor of management and strategy at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Harry and I talk about how to use values-based leadership in the real world, in the workplace, when, when dealing with coworkers who have different values and views, how to gain the, the, the power of a balanced perspective, seeing the world as others do, and knowing yourself through continual self-reflection, um, and, and some very practical ways for how to do that. Uh, and to become a more mindful, productive leader. And this doesn't, uh, you don't have to be a CEO to benefit from these great ideas. So get set to listen and learn from the amazing Harry Kramer. Well, great to be with you, Stu. Great to be with you. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. So uh, let's, let's start, uh, if, if we can, with... Um, what is values-based leadership, uh, the, the, um, the topic that you have become expert in or teaching in and sharing wisdom about, uh, really, uh, not just with students at, the, at Northwestern, but in many, many settings around the world. What is values-based leadership, and how does it differ from other models of, of leadership? Sure. Well, it, it really is uh, an honor to be with you, Stu. And um, th- this topic really is near and dear to my heart, as I know it is to yours, because in my, from my perspective, the whole idea is what we really need to do as, as a world community is to have more leaders with strong values who, who can make a difference in the world. They, they know what their values are. They know what's non-negotiable, things that they're not going to compromise. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they truly are tr- trying to make a difference in the world. Make a difference in the world. Can you say just a little bit more about that before I ask you to break down the four principles, uh, and, and I'm going to ask you also how you came up with them? Sure, sure. So the, the way I think about it, Stu, in a very, very simple way, is taking the time to remove a lot of the noise, remove a lot of the distractions, and literally ask yourself, what are my values? What's my purpose? What do I stand for? What really matters? 
and the, and the whole concept of before I can even begin to lead other people, I, I better figure out how to be able to lead myself. Hmm. So when you say lead yourself, what does that mean to you? Uh, being self-aware, being self-knowledge, knowing what drives me and how my actions and how I behave impacts others. And is that something that you find that is in short supply in the world? Uh, I imagine that you must because <laughs> you are motivated to to bring the wisdom of your experience, uh, which I'm sure was cultivated not only in your professional life, but in your personal and spiritual growth as well. Uh, you, you must feel a sense of calling at this phase in your life to want to share that idea and, and, and do what you can to, to try to generate more values-based leadership in the world. So you, 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 you say it perfectly. I, I really, truly believe that, you know, I enjoyed my time at Baxter. I enjoyed things I did. But to really have a small impact on the next generation of leaders to, to really get people to think about these things uh, it, it, it really is a calling. It really is a calling. I, I think, Stu, whether we're, take, we're looking at business, government, academia, spiritual leaders, we, we absolutely need more leaders. And what I find interesting is everybody talks about the fact we need more leaders, but I, I don't think people get very specific and very practical. What does that really mean? What, what do we really need to do for every single person uh, to become a better leader on that journey of, of a value-based leader. What's, what's your prescription? Uh, how do you help people cultivate values-based leadership in their lives? So, so, Stu, the way I think about it, and you, you mentioned this right up front, I, I really believe that there are, in my opinion, four principles that if, if you followed these, if you thought about self-reflection, balance, true self-confidence, genuine humility... If you realize that leadership is not a destination, it's hey, a journey. Let me just jump in here. Can Be, get better, before you, before you complete path. this thought, um, when you say balance, let's, let's be really clear because, you know, I'm, I'm anti-balance with respect to the uh, integration or sense of harmony among the different parts of life because balance connotes a zero-sum perspective, which, you know, we're trying to help people to break out of. But um, you use balance in a, in a very specific, and I think in a very different way. So could you just define how you use that term? Sure, sure. So the, the, way, I, the way I think about balance, and, and Stu, please challenge all of these things. I, I will continue to. It's a conversation. It. Yeah, no, it's perfect. <laughs> so so the, way, the way I think about it, and, and, and usually I, I start with self-reflection, but this whole balance piece in my mind mm -hmm. go, goes like this, Stu, that you, if we talked about virtually any topic any topic. Immediately, people have very, very strong opinions, very strong opinions. The problem I find is that many people, uh, they know their opinion, but they have very little understanding of other perspectives. Mm -hmm. So I think of balance as taking the time to understand all sides of the story, yeah. or the other way of thinking about it, I think it's a St. Francis comment of seek to understand before I'm understood. Right. Okay, good. I'm, I'm sorry to have interrupted you there, but I just wanted to clarify that term, which is a kind of hot button. For me, personally, you, you're not talking here about work-life balance, quote-unquote. You're, you're speaking about having uh, a balanced view of reality, of trying to get multiple perspectives, of trying to see the world from the, from the perspective of other people. Absolutely. All right. So it starts with self-reflection, and 
having the capacity to take in the perspective of others, and then you were also mentioning the third and fourth principles, real self-confidence or true self-confidence and genuine humility. Take us through each one of those if you can. Just give us like the essence of what each one of those means. And again, what the what the um, critical uh, uh, experiences or activities that you that you use to help people to to cultivate self reflection, a balanced perspective, true self confidence, and genuine humility. Sure, sure. What happy to do. So, self reflection. The way I, I typically think about this one with students and executives do is that. Uh, everybody's very busy. Everybody's got a million things to do, um, whether it is all aspects of their personal life, their uh, professional life, you name it. And when people realize how much they have to do, the usual conscientious person just goes faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And I think that we move into multitasking, and we're racing around. And um, what I always ask folks to think about is, have we confused activity and productivity? We're very, very active. It's amazing how Ooh, active we are with yes. cell phones, and, but, but are we productive? Or are we moving mm. so fast, Stu, we have no idea whether we're productive. And I think the first thing that a, a value-based leader does is take the time to self-reflect. Mm-hmm. Get away from the noise, get off by themselves, and actually take the time to self-reflect and ask them, those types of questions. Mm-hmm. What are my values? What's mm-hmm. my purpose? What do I stand for? What really matters? Yeah, and that's that's how I begin my courses and, and workshops. And, and and when you when you do that, when you give people the the uh, the authority and the permission, uh, you know, with a good reason for why it it's it's important to to take a take some time to look inside to discover what you really care about. There's often a great sense of uh, gratitude and relief, <laughs> you know that that yeah, you know it's so important to to ask yourself these questions. I never do it. I never take the time. I'm so busy. Absolutely, uh, you find that as well. Absolutely, and in, and in fact, the typical reaction I get to what you and I are talking about now, Stu, uh, is oh, Harry, I'd like to do it. I'd love to do it. But the, the problem is. I just don't have the time. I don't right. have the time. Right. And I question, I challenge people, Stu, mm-hmm. to say, is it that we don't have the time, or is this something we really don't want to do? Because, as mm-hmm. you well know, Stu, this could get kind of personal. This could get kind of touchy. Uh, there may be a huge difference between what I say is important and what I'm actually doing, yeah. and I may not want to confront that. But we're talking about leadership. Leaders are willing to challenge themselves. Leaders are willing to put themselves out there. So how do you help people deal with that natural resistance uh, to, you know, to discovery about what they really care about? Because it's, it's certainly been my experience that it requires a, not a small measure of courage to, to take an honest look at what you, what you believe is important in the world and, and how you act in a way that is or is not consistent with that, how do you help people get past the, the natural inhibitions and fear, really, or anxiety of, of you know, asking themselves those questions? Yeah. Well, Stu, opinion, two, two things. One, with students, what I do in the very first class is I literally let them know that one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to write a personal self-reflection every week for those 10 weeks. They're going to sit down. I'm not going to grade them, but they've got to turn one in every mm. week literally taking a little bit of time to think about their values, their purpose, what really matters. 
And what I find so fascinating with these uh, Kellogg students, and I'm sure you may see it the same thing at Wharton, is you have these very, very bright people that have never taken the time to ask themselves, what am I doing, why I'm doing it? And what's so interesting is in the first couple weeks, it's almost very superficial, very third person. But by the time it gets to be the sixth or seventh, eighth week, they're asking themselves, you know, why am I in business school? What really matters? Mm-hmm. What, what are my real goals? Is, is it about success or is it about significance? Uh, how important is materialism? Mm-hmm. How, I mean, people literally taking well, the time to do that. So, so, so what is the distinction that you draw between success and significance? Uh, if I can follow up on that. Sure. Uh, again, always opinions, Stu. I, I kind of look at it as success is, is a little bit about me. It's a little bit about my resume. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit about my accomplishments. It's, it's a little bit about me. I think significance is the idea of really making a difference in the world, really setting an example for other people, uh, enabling people to really reach their full potential, mm-hmm. it, never being about me. That's a, that's, a, that's a neat and useful way to distinguish the two. So, so self-reflection is developed through the work of self-reflection. Uh, and and, and you, you sort of compel your, your students, uh, colleagues that you work with, to do that. How do you help folks to, to see the world from the perspective of others? What's, what's the, the essence of the method that you use to help people to do that? Well, the, the, other, the other thing I, I have, have always done, and I, I do it now at, at Baxter and at Madison-Dearborn, and I'm sure other things you think about this similarly as well, is I think an awful lot of this is how you behave and the example you set. So mm-hmm. I always mention to people, Stu, that from my perspective, I always try to lead by example. So I talk about what I do, the fact that I take 15 minutes a day uh, every day, at the end of the day, uh, to do a personal self-examination. Hmm. And, the, and this whole idea of, and for me, I always tease that some people may do it in the morning, some people when they're going for a jog. For me, it's usually midnight, some combination of work, boards, five children. But I will literally sit down close to midnight and ask myself a series of questions. What did I say I was going to do today? What did I do? What do I have gratitude for? What am I proud of? What am I not proud of? How did I lead people? How did I follow people? If I lived today over again, Stu, what would I have done differently in my interactions? And then the last one for me is always, if I have tomorrow, being fully well aware of the fact that sooner or later I won't, but if I do have tomorrow and I'm a learning person based on what I learned today, how will I operate tomorrow on whatever dimension of your life has any significance to you? So, so you write those things down, those thoughts down to, to some of those questions? I, I do. In fact, students always ask two things, Do They always say, do you have to write it down? And mm-hmm. I always say, I don't know if you have to. I do, because if I don't write it down, uh, am I self-reflecting? Am I just daydreaming, particularly you, if I've had a couple glasses of wine? You have to write. I have to write. I'm, I'm a big believer in this, too, and I've been, I've been at this game for 30-plus years trying to help people learn leadership and, and teamwork, and I, don't, I know no substitute, really, for actually putting the words down. Out of, out of your head and somewhere on a screen or on a piece of paper or somewhere. Absolutely. It's because it requires a little bit more discipline to do that, to be coherent exactly. about what it is that you're thinking. So could you give us like a little snippet of what you wrote last night? Sure. Um, last night, I, uh, because I was teaching yesterday, I was very, very grateful for the fact that a, a couple students 
told me how much they appreciated the class. I had an interaction with, with one of my children that uh, I don't think I really focused on them the way I should have, and I sort of was listening but, but not really listening. Hmm. Um, and then I had the opportunity to uh, talk to a student uh, that had a serious health problem, and I felt, boy, I was really there for that person in a positive way. Hmm. That, so it's, it's a little bit of what goes awesome. well and what doesn't, and what mm-hmm. would I have done differently? Thank you for that uh, that little window into what you were reflecting on last night. So, so reflection is a daily a daily discipline for you. How did you learn that? The uh, the, the fun story says to is that this started uh, quite a number of years ago. Actually, almost forty years ago, when I was a um, a student, I was went to a small college in Wisconsin, Lawrence University, and I met a young lady there when I was a senior, and she was a freshman. And when I graduated and came to Chicago, and you can't do this anymore, Stu, but 40 years ago, I used to hitchhike up to Appleton, Wisconsin, every couple of weeks to see her. And after a couple of months, I got a phone call from her father, uh-huh. very serious fellow up in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he said, you know, I know what's going on. I, I know that, that uh, you're getting uh, pretty serious with my daughter. We, we need to spend some time together. And I said... Tom, super, super, love to do it. Come on down. No, no, no. You come up to Minnesota. And the first mistake I made, Stu, was it was the first weekend in December. And if you know how cold it is up there. And, oh, and he bone chilling. A, he sent me a ticket, and I flew up there thinking, okay, we'll spend the weekend. Maybe we'll see a Viking game. And he said, no, I, I actually think you need to spend a little bit of time thinking about your values and what's important. So oh, wow. I've got a little bit of an exercise for us. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, we're, we're going to go on a retreat. And I said, what, what's a retreat? And he said, well, you're going to spend a little bit of time, you know, thinking about this. Now, there's something I should tell you before we start. And uh, I, I wouldn't have done this if I had known this ahead of time, Stu. He didn't tell me this ahead of time, but he said, Harry, it's a, Wait. It's a silent retreat. Oh, wow. Harry, I, said, I can't imagine you being silent for more than 40 seconds. Well, actually, it's funny you say this, because this gentleman said, Harry, you can't shut up for three minutes. I don't know how you're <laughs> going to be quiet. Stu, it was a three-day silent retreat. Wow. And uh, I, 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 in fact, I asked myself when he this told is me your, that, I asked myself. your father-in-law we're talking about. This is the fellow who became my father-in-law. Right. So you're and thinking, is she worth it at this point, right? At, at this point, I said, how much do I really like this guy's daughter? <laughs> okay. But I'm already up there, and being a finance guy, Stu, I said, sunk cost, I'm already there. You know, I, I might as well figure this out. And, and I did this. And they gave you all kinds of exercises. It was run by the Jesuits. And mm. the last day, Stu, they end you with by saying, this shouldn't be a one-time exercise. Mm. You should spend 15 minutes a day and, and do a, uh, a uh, personal self-examination. So that's what I've done. And the crazy part, Stu, which the students find to be a little bizarre, yes. is, first of all, Stu, I married his daughter. Yeah. Second of all, Stu, wherever I am in the world, and I'm usually out of the country at least a week a month, but wherever I am in the world, the first weekend in December, Stu, yeah. for the last 38 consecutive years, I meet my father-in-law at the St. Paul Airport, and oh, we go man. on this three-day Jesuit retreat. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> That's incredible. All right, so... So self-reflection uh, is, is, is really the foundation for, for all growth as a leader, really as a person. Uh, say more, though. Let, let's get into the, the other principles, uh, how you help people develop that oh-so-difficult capacity to see the world as others do, balance and perspective. How do you sure. do that? What's, what's your method? So the way I try to get people to think about this one, Stu, is – if you may have your opinion, mm-hmm. you may have your view, mm-hmm. but if you're going to be self-reflective and you're going to be values-driven, 
and I have to re- uh, role play this thing, I really truly will take the time to understand your perspective. And the way, the way I try to train myself and others, Stu, is if I'm having a disagreement with you or an issue with you, I will try to never say, Stu, I don't understand where you're coming from. Because I I've actually believe uh, that's a little bit ignorant. If I take the time, I can understand. And then I'll decide whether I agree or disagree. And the more different perspectives I hear, the more different views of the world I have, the better, one, I'm going to become. And number two, my ability to motivate you and have you feel part of a team because I will convince you, Stu, I'll absolutely convince you, I have no need to be right. I'm fanatically focused on trying to do the right thing. Hmm. So can can you tell me off the top of your head of one of the more difficult uh, situations you faced in in really trying to take in the point of view of someone who had a a different perspective than you? Uh, uh, an, An example where... I, I change my view or I'm, change, I'm listening to somebody else's? You're, you're listening to someone else's uh, point of view and, and you are in really deep disagreement with them from a moral point of view, let us say. Um, boy, lots of, uh, let me think of a, of, of a good one. Because you know that's one of the, the hardest latest, things for us, right? Is, is to, is to well, I was just gonna, just going to elaborate as you're thinking of that. It, it's it's one of the hardest things for us to do is to is to embrace the you know the perspective of the other, and I want to focus on that here uh, because it's it's in dire need you know that that capacity in our society today, as so many people have observed and are and are crying out for people like you to help others. To develop the uh, the capacity, the will, the discipline, the openness, the generosity that it takes to really listen to someone who's got a different point of view than you. Sure. So, well, and how, Stu, you can tell me with with all your experience whether this this seems uh, uh, realistic to you. Is that I get asked? I was doing a talk last night in St. Louis, and one of the discussions was, "Well, Harry, how did how do we get ourselves into this situation?" And I don't know what your view on this is. What, I've, what I was telling people was, when I was growing up, and I guess it shows my age, when I was growing up, you know, there was three stations, the news was a half an hour, ten minutes of commercials, and Walter Cronkite would, or Huntley and Brinkley would end up saying, that's the way it is. And if you think about it, Stu, in 20 minutes, they literally had time to tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, what's happened? You know, the news has become entertainment. The news has become 24 hours, whether there's news or not. And because it's entertainment and they want to make me happy, now I, if I happen to be real right-wing whatever, there's certain news I can listen to. If I'm very left-wing yeah. and all I'm listening to is exactly what I want to hear, so, which, so, which, which, which creates an environment where, where people have very, very little understanding of, of perspectives other than their own. So when you, when you encountered someone who had a... Very different perspective than yours. And you, you were starting to give us an example earlier. How did you deal with that? What I, what I always do, Stu, is the first thing I do is I literally take the time to demonstrate my sincerity, my respect for listening to exactly what they think and why. How do you do that? And then I'll that? actually say, is this what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Is this what you believe? Mm-hmm. Okay, no, I, you know what, Joe? I, I, I think I really understand. And then I'll say, boy, Joe, could I share with you my perspective? Mm-hmm. And because I've been respectful mm-hmm. and I've been very sincere mm-hmm. and I demonstrate I really care for that person, mm-hmm. then they're all about, okay, yeah, Harry, tell, tell, me, tell me what you think. So you've established 
the 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 dignity of trust really by by demonstrating your genuine curiosity and interest in 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 taking in the point of view of the other, and the only way you can really demonstrate that you've done that, of course, is to repeat it back to them and ask, Absolutely. "Do I have it right?" Absolutely, Stu. Do so you have and, to do and, that? By the way, you you stated so well, Stu, because not only am I genuine and not only am I curious, it may turn out, and sometimes does, that your point of view actually makes more sense than my point of view. And if it does, I'm willing to change my point of view because. I am not trying to be right. I'm trying to do the right thing. Mm. So, so does an example come to mind of when, when that happened sometime sure. in the recent past, uh, perhaps? You know, I, I, the one I was just recently thinking of was this whole question that's become very volatile now of, of free speech uh, and this whole idea of, hey, uh, don't you understand, Harry, that every single person you know, has the ability to say whatever they want to say, and that uh, some of those incidences that we've, we've seen in the news, um, you know, do, do you realize why people do have the right uh, to be able to do that? And, that? and that's really the First Amendment. And i got to tell you, Stu, I listened to that so carefully, and I realized, yes, yes, you do, and yes, I respect the fact that you do, and that's what makes the demo- democracy strong. But then when I literally tried to get in discussion of, okay, I, I now have the ability to do that, but should I do that if what I'm doing is really hurting somebody that hmm. really I don't have to? I, I can do it. I have the right to. But if I'm, if I'm trying to be a, a reasonable person, you know, is there some... And, I, and literally, I had a phenomenal discussion with this person. Hmm. So I, what did you come around to? I, I came around to, I think, a, a balance of, yes, I even feel hmm. more strongly that they should be able to say it, but I think this person realized, yeah, just because they have the right, not clear that they should do it. Maybe they should Mm. take a little bit more time to see what's the impact of that on the other person. Harry, if you could just give me uh, two sentences on the essence of what true self-confidence and genuine humility mean, because we've talked at some length about self-reflection and balance and perspective, and then we'll start to take some calls. Perfect, perfect. Uh, So true self-confidence, the the question that always comes up, Stu, is what's the true? You're either self-confident or you're not. And, of course, we've all worked for people who can act very self-confident, who have no self-confidence at all. So mm. when I say true, when I, I get people to really ask themselves, do they have true self-confidence, the easiest way I think about it, Stu, is, is what for me is very obvious, that there will always be people brighter than I am, more athletic, more articulate, but, but I'm all right. I, I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I'm a learning person. I'll get better each and every day I'm given. I'm a work in process. It's not egotistical. It's not arrogant. It's not obnoxious, nor, nor is it complacent. It's, hmm. I'm literally a, a work in process. And the idea when people say, how do you know if you have it? I always ask them two questions. Have are what? You willing, Sorry. Are you willing to how, how, to, how do you know if you have what? Tr- uh, true self-confidence. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, the two things I always think the listeners would, 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 uh, can help with is two questions. Number one, have you reached a point yet in your life, Stu, where you're comfortable to say, I don't know? I'll, I'll figure it out, Stu. I'll, I'll, I'll find out somebody who knows, but I don't know. I'm not going to wing it. And the second question is, have you reached a point in your life where you're willing to admit that you were wrong? And in my mind, if you have true self-confidence, you will let people know when you know and when you don't know. Mm-hmm. And when you're wrong, you'll admit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're comfortable in your own skin. And true ge- self-confidence. And, and genuine humility? 
Genuine humility, in my mind, is a realization that every single person matters. Hmm. Um, and the, the way I get people to think about that one, Stu, is I ask people at all levels, uh, all levels, um, how, how did you get to where you are? I mean, you know, somebody's uh, had certain success. I, how did you get there? And usually people will say, well, I, uh, I, Harry, I worked very hard, and I've mm-hmm. got certain skill sets. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, okay, well, but if you're self-reflective, is there any other thing that impacted? And I, I usually tell the students that, yeah, you know what, I worked pretty hard. I have certain skill sets, but let me tell you four other things that impacted me. Luck, timing, the team, and then for me, a, a spiritual component. And I think if any of those work for you, luck, timing, the team, or a spiritual component, I think people with genuine humility start to realize, too, you don't forget where you came from, because many of us start off with very little or nothing. You keep things in perspective. At Baxter, we used to say you don't read your own press clippings. And the last and final one, and I'm sure you know a lot about this, Stu, the higher up somebody goes in an organization, the more success they are, there's going to be people that are going to start to say, Harry, you're amazing. Harry, you're remarkable. If Harry's not careful, Harry could start to believe it. And the day Mm -hmm. you start to believe it, you can no longer get your head through doorways. So this whole concept of a realization, every single person matters. And just like Mm -hmm. Stu, I never say self-confidence without true. I never say humility without genuine, because as you know, faking this doesn't go over real well at all. It's Mm -hmm. like, really? But realizing every single person matters has an enormous impact, I think, on on how you deal with others and how respectful you are and be on your team or not. Well, it certainly is, is going to orient you towards a life of significance, too, to, to see how you can create value uh, f- for others. All right, so um, we've, we've done a quick outline of what is more deeply explored in a, in a very powerful and accessible way in, in your books, From Values to Action and Becoming the Best. Uh, self-reflection, balance and perspective, true self-confidence. It's important to have that modifier in there, true. And genuine humility. These are, these are powerful and uh, really useful ideas that anybody can apply uh, Susanna is calling from Northern California. Susanna, thanks for, for coming back uh, to join us on the show. Welcome again to Work and Life. So what, what, what question do you have for Harry? Well, my question to Harry is uh, you went um, and talked about how you deal with different opinions. And personally, I've uh, just shut down, like around the political election uh, I just shut down because when mm. I heard people, like, the mindset was very different from my own, I thought, my God, I better not say anything mm. because I'm going to be vilified. All right, that's, but, that's, a, that's a really important uh, issue, and I'd love to hear Harry's take on that. How, how do you help people, um, and, and thanks for raising that, Susanna, I really appreciate that. Uh, how do you help people to <clears throat> have the courage uh, to not only take in the perspective of the other, but to share theirs when it is indeed different? Yeah, so what I, and I always role-play this thing, Stu, the way I look at this is I, I truly want to understand your perspective, and when I realize it's very, very different than mine, and, and maybe it's something, as Susanna said, that I just totally disagree with, I, I want to make sure I understand it, and to, by proving to you that I really understand, then I almost feel the, the opportunity mm-hmm. 
to try to give you my perspective. And mm-hmm. rather than trying to jam it down your throat, it'll be in a very respectful way of, hey, Stu, you know, I, I appreciate what you think. I, I understand that. Hey, let me tell you another way I think about this. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you why. And does that make sense, Stu? Does that, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, how do you react? Be able, to, be able to demonstrate to you that I, I genuinely want to share something with you, but I want to be very open about it. And, you know, it may be something that you have a problem with, and, and that's okay. Uh, because I don't believe we're ever going to agree on everything anyway. Mm-hmm. So you really have to start. Susanna, thank you so much for calling. I really appreciate your, your joining us again on, on Work and Life. Attitude of continual learning, which is really inspiring, Harry, I think above all. Um, From Values to Action is, uh, is the first book that I recommend you go to uh, of Harry's. And um, the you know, the, the importance of really demonstrating to other people that you're interested in hearing their perspective, you got to do that to create the opening for them to be willing and interested in hearing your point of view. And maybe to Susanna's question, that, uh, that is, um, you know, the way that you gain confidence to overcome the fear of being vilified by the other. If you can just stand tall, open, listening you, you feel a little more confident knowing that, well, at least this person knows that I heard them. Absolutely. Right? Well so that, said, Stu. Well said. Absolutely. So Ted is calling from Connecticut. Hey, Ted, welcome to Work and Life. Hey, guys. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have to say, Stu, I, di- I discovered your show just a couple of weeks ago, and I, I absolutely love it. I, I oh. can't get enough, so <laughs> thank you for what you're doing. That's so kind of you. I'm glad you're listening. Tell me what's well, on your mind. Guys. All right, so here's here's my scenario, right? And it, it goes along the lines of, of really navigating leadership. And I, you know, worked my way into an organization that I just wanted so badly and worked very productively for about six years. Mm-hmm. My manager was moved moved into another group and, and moved on. And I was inherited into, an, into our general manager, right? And... I'm very much in sales and business development. The GM that I report to now is, is IT engineering, right? And so, you know, he's interested in tearing things down before he can, you know, embrace them. So that's long story short, he is extremely narcissistic, right? Almost to a point of being a bully. And he minimizes everybody. And he, he literally makes you feel like an idiot on, in, on everything that you're hmm. trying to do, trying to present, things like that. So I've just, you know, I'm trying to navigate this guy and bring the right materials forward and, and really mm-hmm. try to have a work-life balance so at the end of the day I can feel good about what I've done and mm-hmm. productively and, and leave it at work. Right. Yeah, because really no, when you're treated there. like dirt at work, I mean that's that's going to affect your relationships with your family, your friends, and how you feel about yeah. yourself for sure. So exactly, and so I just wanted to get some opinion about yeah. that. Well, um, so Harry, what what advice do you have for Ted? Yeah, or, so, or, Ted, what do you want to hear more great, about from him? Great, great to have you on the show here, Ted. Um, here, here's here's my perspective, Ted, um, and I'll, I'll lay it out for you in this way. I. I'm a great believer in that one of the areas that doesn't get a lot of time in leadership is the ability, Ted, to how do you figure out how to lead up? And the reason I say that is many of us may be able to operate with our team pretty well or our peers, but, but what do you do when your boss, he or she, either doesn't get it, 
doesn't want to get it, or let's not leave out the category, Ted, they just may be a bad guy. I mean, I don't know if they had the wrong parents. I mean, something, something went terribly wrong with some of these people. And I kind of look at it as I've got to be able to realize that since leadership, Ted, has nothing to do with titles and org charts, do I have the ability to relate to that person somehow so that I can influence them? So if I, if I role-play this, Ted, if it turns out that you've got a big ego and you're just used to being right and you know, you're just a, a, a problem and, and narcissist or whatever, do I, have the ability, do I have the ability to convince you, Ted, that, first of all, I have absolutely no personal agenda other than to be helpful? And, and I'm listening and, and in a very respectful way said, hey, you know, Ted, uh, I, I know you want to do it this way. Would this make any sense? Would this be? And, and by the way, Ted, if I realize you've got a big ego, maybe, maybe I, I let it be your idea. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say, oh, Ted, here's five reasons why this doesn't make sense. Hey, Ted, would, would this make any sense? Even though I know that's what really does make sense. I, I've got to figure out a way to relate to you so I can influence and lead you. And I kind of look at it as, I will do my best to do that. I will try my best to seek to understand and listen and try to influence you. But if I can't, and I, and I can demonstrate in, in truth in myself that I'm trying and I can't, well, then I've got to ask myself, am I in the right place? Because as Stu said, that, that's going to have such an enormous mm-hmm. impact on your life, your family, your faith. You, you can't stick around for long mm-hmm. if you don't believe you've got the ability to lead up and, and change the environment. That would be my opinion. Ted, what do you think? I think that's tremendous, and it's 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 been on my mind. I've been working with this guy and reporting to him for uh, since the beginning of the year, and you know, it's it's one of those things where I feel like I'm I'm trying to lead up, I'm trying to do those types of things, and I just feel like he's not approachable because every time I approach him with mm-hmm. ideas, concepts, you know, opportunities, I just they get they get thrown back you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very stressful way, and it's very difficult. So I think the writing's on the wall that I can't change them, mm. and I need to, you know, keep staying the course but move on. So, I so have moving is, on sounds like a good way. option, Ted. Yes. Right? It yeah. sounds like you've already concluded yeah. that you know, get out, make a clean break of it, uh, and, you know, do that in as diplomatic a way as you possibly can, uh, but... Uh, but really, it sounds like you should be getting the heck out of there. Yeah, I think you're right. And if, if I could throw in one more thing that I thought might be topical as well is, you know, do you feel like it's it's the, the leadership of the organization's, uh, I wouldn't say job to do it, but really uh, create one of their, you know, pluses is to be able to create culture in the organization and cohesiveness and and uh, do you feel like, what do you feel like leadership's position is on creating culture? And leading culture. Well, this is really the essence of uh, of what becoming the best, the, the, your second bestseller, Harry, is uh, kind of gets to. Um, how how can you summarize that uh, that challenge and what leaders can do to create the right culture for a, a values based organization? Sure. So 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 Ted, you you, you summarize it very very well. It, you one, once in my mind you can live those principles and, and you become a value-based leader, then the next challenge, as Susan said, is, all right, how do I move from being a value-based leader to, to really building a value-based organization? And the first step of that, in my mind, once I'm being self-aware and, and the four principles is, I've got to be able to build a best team. And that whole concept of the best team, Ted, is exactly what you said. I have to treat every single person 
the way I want to be treated. I have to make sure that every person realizes, Ted, I care. If, if, if you and Stu report to me, I'm going to, m- more than just words, you will know that I care enough about you that I will help you develop to your full potential. I'm going to let you know what that development plan looks like, what we can do so that you can be the best you can possibly be. Mm-hmm. And, and a big part of that, Ted, is, is feedback. And what's interesting to me is this whole idea of feedback, when I say that word, I mean open, honest, continuous, transparent feedback. It's, it's really helping you to develop, to empower you, so that you literally feel like you're a substantial part of the organization and you can make as big of an impact uh, as, as you've got the ability to make. Ted, I hope that was helpful to you. And uh, again, want to thank you for, for calling into the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, Harry, we've only got a couple minutes left here. Uh, I, I haven't really talked politics very much on this show, but your presence here and the things that you've been talking about compel me uh, <laughs> to ask about, you know, it's we're, right now it's October 2017. Uh, what's your take on values-based leadership in the White House? Well, you know, I, I, Stu, I got this enormous smile on my face here because uh, when people say to me, what do you think? I say, this is exactly the reason why I'm teaching value-based leadership. I mean, if there was ever a period in our history uh, that there's a cry out for more value-based leadership, uh, it's here and now, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and without getting into personalities, sort of walk through self-reflection? I don't think so. Balance? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. True self-confidence, not clear. Genuine humility, let's not even go there. So uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I think there's a big need. And, and literally, Stu, if I, if I take a step back, and regardless of what party somebody's affiliated with, if, if we're at a period where everyone's at extreme and nobody is willing to find a common ground, um, it's very, very hard in a democracy, as you know, to get every, anything done if everybody is standing at, at the two extremes mm-hmm. and no one willing to, mm-hmm. to figure out and really understand the other perspective. So, so th- let me ask you my, my last question here then uh, on that point and also to, to something that you emphasize heavily in your writing, and that is developing a, a more global perspective and figuring out, no matter what age you are, how you're going to have a positive impact on the world. Um, what what's your advice uh, with for listeners uh, on on how to how to go about actually crafting such a life where you can in your own small way being just one person feel like you are having an impact as as a values based leader? Where do you start? Well, yeah, the, the the my perspective, Stu, and thanks for asking this one is, and I think it's important. You we can talk about all the problems in the world. We can talk about all the issues in the world, global poverty, global health care, digital divide. Usually when you talk about those things, as you know, Stu, the usual reaction is, yeah, that, that, that's a big issue. And the people that we assign to deal with these things is this infamous group of people, Stu, called those guys. There's some <laughs> famous group of men or women somewhere. And what I try to train every person I can come with and deal with at, at, at Kellogg or students, whatever, anywhere, uh, and hopefully everybody who's listening in tonight, if we're not those guys, if we're not the men or women, who is? And you hear people say, well, if it was my organization. Well, if you're in it, it is your organization. Well, if I was, wait a minute, you know, you happen to be blessed in this country, what are we waiting for? 
and, and this whole concept of when the light goes on, and I, the two questions I ask folks, have you reached a point yet in your life, Stu, where you realize I'm one of those guys, I'm one of the men or women who need to make a difference, mm-hmm. or the other way I ask it, Stu, is whatever you're doing, are you watching the movie or are you in the movie? Hmm. Are, you, are you sitting That's in the good. stands talking about all the issues and the problems, mm-hmm. or are you somebody who says, no, wait a minute, I, I'm actually going to get in the movie. Okay, I, I, I literally am going to wait for other people to do something. I'm going to be a leader, and I'm going to exhibit a willingness to jump in and try to be a change agent myself. Get in the movie. So, Get in the movie. So, so, so that means taking action, uh, and, and people are often they're just frozen. There's just so much to do. Where do I begin? What do you tell them? I tell them, Stu, to start somewhere. Yeah. Right? You're, you're, you're realizing that there's a lot less people that are fortunate than you are. Uh, maybe, maybe you start to go into some soup kitchens. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you volunteer on weekends to get involved in a Habitat for Humanity project. Or just uh, listen to your child a little more attentively. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> you, can, you can start anywhere. Harry? Uh, you can't start anywhere. Uh, there's so much more I want to speak with you about, but we are out of time. So let me just thank you for taking the time for uh, being with us tonight. Really my honor and pleasure to join you, Stu, and hope to do it again someday. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Harry Kramer and that it stimulated some new ideas for you about how to create harmony and integrate the different parts of your life using his principles, what he refers to as values-based leadership, both in your workplace, at school, wherever you are engaging with other people trying to get important things done. Lots of great ideas here. I had so much fun talking with, with Harry. Let me now offer you a challenge, an invitation, based on one of the things that that Harry talked about, something that he does and has done for such a long time and how much uh, benefit he's gained from doing this this daily practice of reflecting at the end of the day, just for a short while. He says he does it for 15 minutes every day. Here's my invitation to you. Consider, if you don't do this, maybe a five-minute couple of notes to yourself. Writing it down is always better. But even if you just stop and think at the end of the day, how'd it go today? Did I live according to the values that I espouse, that I say are important to me? What is it that I should be grateful for at the end of this day? What kind of impact did I have? And what could I have done better? Those are the questions, the kinds of questions that Harry asks himself and many of the uh, significant leaders that I have known, uh, worked with, and seen uh, from afar, they do this sort of thing. They're conscious and deliberate about rising directly to the challenge of seeing their own lives in the context of what they would uh, hope to be doing with their lives, that is to say their values. It takes a bit of courage and some investment of time. Um, Why don't you try it, even just for a day or two, and see what you discover? I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, or on Twitter, at Stu Friedman. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.